0: I watched my daughter and other female collegiate swimmers face Leah Thomas, the first male swimmer in women's NCAA swimming.
1: But this progress is continuously being threatened by those who are putting wokeness above what is right and fair to biological female
2: athletes. But the reality is, you know, gay and lesbian has nothing to do with gender identity. There's not a single trans person here. In fact,
3: we were instructed by the federal court to refer to these males as quote transgender females.
4: So I'm not accusing any trans women of cheating but what about the
5: men that may want to cheat? Just days after a seismic change that will affect American life for years and perhaps decades to come. And just two weeks after major changes in sporting policy, leading anti-trans voices like the ones you just heard got together in Las Vegas. The ICONS conference has come and gone. It sent a definitive message. Hello again, everybody. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. This is the Transporter Room. The intersection of sports, transness, sci-fi, gaming, all things nerd and geek, and a lot of other stuff. And we continue to live in interesting times. This past Thursday, the Supreme Court rolled back Roe v. Wade, throwing the matter of abortion back to the individual states. Thirteen states have trigger laws that went into effect following the repeal. Roe v. Wade not only affects cisgender women, but transgender and non-binary people are affected. And this issue will also play into other issues such as affirming health care. And that goes into the continuing struggles of the role changes by both Union Cycliste Internationale and the International Swimming Federation the week before. Coming off the heels of all this in this final weekend of Pride is a newly formed group called the Independent Council on Women's Sports. They had their convention Sunday through Tuesday in Las Vegas. The group said in a release that quote we have invited participation from speakers and organizations of all political leanings and backgrounds who are willing and eager to promote fairness for women and girls in sports. The tone and cadence of this two and a half day meeting however was mainly centered around hysteria and transphobia. The list of scheduled panels and speakers were largely those of antagonistic voices and organizations. Some of the groups included the Concerned Women of America and the Alliance Defending Freedom. Now, the ADF has been cited by as an anti-LGBTQ hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Also present were representatives from UK's Fair Play for Women, the US Director of Women's Declaration International was there, and there were representatives of the Women's Liberation Front. Now, one thing about the Women's Liberation Front, they've taken money in the past from groups like the Heritage Foundation, who gave them a grant a couple years ago. As expected, this conference had quite a few familiar overtones. One of the most prevalent, the opportunity to once again make Leah Thomas the official pinata of trans women in sport. Conference organizer Kim Jones Got her swinging. As I watched
0: my daughter and other female collegiate swimmers face Leah Thomas, the first male swimmer in women's NCAA swimming. I saw previously empowered young women fade in strength and confidence. I watched in dismay as these young women were gaslighted, shamed, and told to seek counseling because they tried to point out discrimination. I saw tears, frustration, frustration, silence, lost records, and lost opportunities. I saw shocked young women question whether they had a right to undress
5: out of the sight of male eyes and male nudity. Former University of Kentucky swimmer Riley Gaines, who tied Thomas in the 200-yard freestyle at the NCAA championships back in March, Also got her swings in.
1: So not only were forced to race against a male, um, we were completely put on the back burner for men. Um, Obviously, this was a difficult situation for the NCAA, and they clearly weren't prepared to handle it. Um, But it's, it's crucial for the NCAA to open their eyes and recognize, you know, this irrefutable damage that's being done to women's sports and everything that Title IX stood for and was created for.
5: Now, Riley's entry in the misgendering competition was decent, but the gold came from the entire alliance defending freedom contingent, led by their lead attorney, Christina Holcomb, now in the middle of yet another continuing battle against the state of Connecticut.
3: Well, like many of you, I first became aware of the issue of males competing in women's sports by hearing reports out of the state of Connecticut for every single season they had been forced to compete against biological males and that was depriving them of opportunities. So well, litigating at the district level in Connecticut, as you might suspect, is not easy on this issue. Uh, in fact, the federal judge looked at us, their lawyers, and said you are not allowed to use discriminatory and degrading language, i.e. referring to males as biological males. That was the quote offensive and derogatory language. In fact, we were instructed by the federal court to refer to these males as quote transgender females because he viewed it to be far more scientifically accurate. Of course, that violates not only, you know, my client's right um, in position in advocating for their fair and fair competition, but even as a lawyer, my ability to zealously advocate for the position of my client. So we were able to uh, sort of, I would say, negotiate with the court. And so you'll notice in our briefing, we use the term "male-bodied athletes." Sounds a little bit awkward to be quite frank. Like they're not—they're not disembodied.
5: And Ms. Holcomb wasn't alone. Like all good Sith. They have to have an apprentice, like a Selena Soul,
1: And that one athlete dominated the field, and between the two biological males in sports, they took away 15 women's state championships.
5: Or her other apprentice, Chelsea Mitchell.
1: I also had hopes that perhaps these male athletes would fall off, or, um, well, they were in my grade, but I know that... Um, you know, in some cases, Leah Thomas graduated after one year, um, but that was not the case for us. Um, so I, my going into my senior year, the male athlete that was dominating all these races had um, not competed the first month of the indoor season, um, and when they did, their times were slower to the point that I could possibly compete with them. So, you know, that gave me a little bit of hope that perhaps, you know, I would be able to do the hard work to win against these biological males. When I maybe thought that, you know, we could prevail in any way, I realized that that was not the case, that I would not win, um, and that there was no relief for us, except the only thing that perhaps I could do now to,
5: you know, beat these males would be to join a lawsuit. And this being pride, how about a perfect pride statement from the Women's Liberation Front, Devin Buckley. Uh, one of the issues of concern to us is that there are
2: men who identify as women who are calling lesbians bigots because they don't want to have sex with them. So we are, if, if you're interested in in a feminist nonprofit that still defends LGB rights, we are definitely for you.
5: You know, the silent parts were definitely spoken out loud. Consider Fiona McEnema. She represents fair play for women. Now, Fair Play for Women and Nancy Hogshead Makar's Cisgender Women's Sports Policy Working Group. They say that they both have a simpatico strategic alliance. And Ms. McEnema had this to say about a certain British cyclist named Emily Bridges.
6: And then, of course, we got our only Thomas. So this is Emily Bridges, who was a champion cyclist. I think maybe uh, Emma talked about him already. Did you, Emma? Now, so the junior champion uh, as a, a male cyclist and then, you know, identified as a woman. This is, this is, Leah, uh, this is um, Emily with Emily's mother. So Emily's a big unit, as you can see there. Uh, now, the thing is that we then mobilized, right, because what we knew was that Emily was going to be coming 12 months down the line after 12 months of testosterone suppression would be trying to get into the women's team. And sure enough, that happened. And we got wind of it. There was a good little network of uh, activists involved in this, a few different people, people in the cycling world, people connected to the elite cyclists. And the elite cyclists, the GB cycling women's team, eventually threatened that they would strike.
5: Other speakers included noted anti-trans influencer biologist Colin Wright and Emma Hilton was present the anti-trans biologist who's been rather vocal on the sports issue in recent years, and South African sports scientist Ross Tucker, who again tried to sell the idea that trans women aren't women and cis women are inept at sport.
4: It doesn't matter what sporting endeavor you take. Well, there's a couple shooting equestrian where the differences are very small. But in most of them, ranging from rowing on the far left here, all the way to the drag flick in field hockey these complex chain activities that involves the shoulder the muscles the drive from the legs those effects are compounded to the extent that the male advantage is in excess of 50% the biological differences between males and females are so large that unless we continue to defend the protection of a women's sport category those who do not possess that advantage would basically disappear from sport
5: and that seemed to be a common theme just take out Emma Hilton, also known as Fonda Beatles.
6: There are thousands of males who are faster than our current Olympic 100-meter champion, Elaine thompson Hera. And in fact, the 15-year-old schoolboy 100-meter record is faster than flo She's the fastest woman who ever ran down a track. So a relatively kind of average elite male can, at the age of 14, beat our fastest females.
5: And there were athletes who had a few things to say. Like former US Olympian Inga Thompson. The same Inga Thompson who got called out for a transphobia back in 2019 and resigned from the Oregon Bicycle Racing Association's board of directors because of it.
2: I actually believe that this transgender movement has been sound really odd, but good for women because we have always taken the back seat and taken the back seat and kind of pushed forward. We're trying to get equality, we're trying to get equal pay. We're trying to get equal, you know, media coverage and we get it at this like snail's pace pace. And then here comes men into our sport. And you just see this total implosion. And I and I call it this total sellout. Well, in the process, the last few years, organizations like these are coming together that are actually going to
5: put women first. Thompson's hysteria and transphobia was at least good enough for a silver. But the gold medalist, who else? Live and direct from Wimbledon, Martina Navratilova. Trigger warning. She said it before, and she said
4: it again. My heart goes out to all the women and girls that have to compete uh, against biological men. um, um, Males, I should say. And it's it's difficult. Because I want to include transgender women. I know how important sport is to all of us. But we women have fought so hard to get this equal opportunity to even have the right to play sports, then to have the equal opportunity to play sports, equal funding, et cetera. And now we're supposed to make room for men who not now ID as women, great for everyday life, absolutely supported in society at large. But we have categories in sports for a reason. And this is is the reason. So I'm not accusing any trans women of cheating. But what about the men that may want to cheat? Uh, that are not trans women, but they will—they—they—they they, they could pretend. Uh, they could say, you know, I ID as a woman. It's reversible. Even when you take the hormones, you take them for a couple of years, you can reverse back out, uh, as has been happening uh, in other fields in other countries. So it's just—it's uh, just a really unfortunate uh, situation because we want to include uh, everybody that that wants to
5: compete, but it has to be done fairly i think you get the gist about what was talked about at this convention in vegas but here are some of the things that really weren't talked about things such as the repeal of roe v wade some people did speak out the wnba's players association did and they said in a statement this decision shows a branch of government that is so out of touch with the country in any sense of human dignity We must recognize that when we cast a ballot, it is to elect officials and to connect the dots to policy and legislation that align with our values. Another thing that wasn't really talked about, pay equity and equity and funding and resources were glossed over. Now, I give Nancy Huggshead said Maycar a little bit of credit. She started to talk about this, and then she proceeded to blame trans people, also while solidifying... Her new alliance not just with fair play for women, but also with the Alliance Defending Freedom. A group who has stood against everything that the three-time Olympic gold medalist has championed throughout her career as a lawyer.
3: It's our honor and privilege to represent these courageous female athletes, and we would love to see more cases filed. Um, I think there's great opportunity here, especially for those who have lost in direct competition to a male athlete. I just want you to notice
2: just the profound sexism of really not caring what happens to women's sports the way that I just can't believe that they would if it was men's sports. And two is there's no caring about trans men, female bodies, trans men um, who, who want to be able to play sports. They're only looking at one direction of, right? They're not looking at this as what can we do for trans people? It's all about what can we do to include trans men in sports, and, you know, those, anyway, so, so the, we, we do, we're, we're always in contact with um, people that want to sue. But like you said, you know, we have got to make sure it's
3: the right place and the right time. Et Can I just add to that, Kim, really quickly? So Nancy's exactly right. The Supreme Court under one theory said, hey, NCAA, you're not subject to Title IX craziness, right? It did, though, leave open other theories and possible avenues. So I don't want to make any mistake by promising that there's a clear Title IX hook here for the NCAA. There isn't. I think there are some golden opportunities to test those legal theories and see what we can accomplish.
5: And the name Brittany Griner wasn't spoken at this convention either. And the Phoenix Mercury Star Center will be remaining in custody at least for another six months. It was announced Tuesday that Russian authorities have set a trial date for her. The trial will begin July 1st. Reiner has been in custody in Russia for four months since being arrested at a Moscow airport for alleged cannabis possession. But on the good foot, there was some good stuff in this last week of Pride. First, a shout out to... Canadian Paralympic star Ness Murby. This past weekend, he became the first openly trans athlete to compete in the Canadian Track and Field National Championships. He took part in the para in the paraathletic ambulatory men's discus and did pretty well. Murby finished fourth with a throw of 21.49 meters. Also a shout out to another friend of the show, Verity Smith. Congratulations to Smith and his lead Rhinos. They defeated the Catalan Dragons at the Bedford Challenge Cup Finals over the weekend, 48-34 in wheelchair rugby. And But the best part about this is the victory lap Smith took on his Twitter page. He said, quote, Apparently trans men don't play competitive sport as we could not possibly compete with cis men. But here I am living my best life. You go on here, Verity. And by the way, Verity, we're go- hey you got an open date. Anytime you want to get beamed up, we are here for you. Also, more love to Charlie Martin in in Lamborghini Super Trofeo competition here in the states. She was at Watkins Glen last weekend, and her and Jason Keats kind of brought the goods in their first race on Friday. They piloted that Lamborghini to second place, but on Saturday, they were running good. And then, oops, Charlie had a little drive through penalty, dropped him back to fifth, but still a solid weekend for this team. And once again, Charlie just keeps speaking out all over her fire suit throughout this entire weekend were patches that read trans rights are human rights. Just a note to all fans here in the state, You got two more chances to see Charlie in the States this season. Both of the, her next races will be in August at Road America, Wisconsin and in, at VIR in Virginia. And a special shout out to my newest friend of the show, Erica Smith, lacrosse and field hockey, two sport double threat at Sweet Vire College, Virginia, the home of the Vixens. I shared the stage with her at an event in New York City last Friday, sponsored by OutSports. It was a night of LGBTQ people in sports telling their stories. I was honored to share a little bit of mine. I was even more honored to hear more of hers.
7: I think sometimes you have to know, like, why are we here? Are we here for, like, the scholarships? Are we here for the positions or the variety? Or, you know, are we here for the family, the community? And I really had to think. And the only reason I'm here is because of not only my teammates, but my athletic department. I mean, I literally have two of my teammates sitting with me right now, in both field hockey and lacrosse that have watched me start both sport, not having any clue, and still figure out how to try to hold the stick. And I still held it wrong three three months after. Um so our uh, Katie Reynolds, she our Australian exchange student, was like, "No, this is how you do it." To M. Alexander, uh, the first day of practice, like, hey, you need to know how to, like, pass the ball. Um, and, you know, I think we have to remind ourselves what we offer each other as both teammates, as athletes, as people in this field. Because, you know, I always told my coaches, I don't have much skill, but the thing I can always bring to the field is I'll always get back up. And all of a sudden I started looking to my left and right, and I had people helping me get back up each time. And that that feeling of getting back up and having people around you celebrating with you and like reminding you that you are worth it and you are there. It's you know, those are those are why. Like, at least I play, and you know, ask like why are we, why am I out here? Why are we doing this? And you know, because you know, like this positivity, this energy, we can use this and we can spread it to other people. Show other people why you value them being there. Show a, show your teammates. Maybe you haven't talked to them much. Ask them something about themselves. I did that one day to our goalie and all of a sudden it sparked a field hockey Dungeons and Dragons group that is going two years <laughs> strong and we still play consistently. And I have people asking to join all the time. And to the where our co- my coach is like, oh, hey, Erica, this this player struggling, you should, like, see if you can join their group because they feel more included. You know, and, like, all of those things occur off the field. It's, you know, being able to play is amazing. I wake up with anxiety every day thinking, oh, cool, I'm not gonna be able to play today or whatever. But even if I do wake up tomorrow and there's a law saying that I'm have even less rights than I did now, um, I know that I still have, like, my teammates there and are consistently reminding me that i'm always going to be a v- vixen i'm always going to be with them i mean i drove nine hours with one of them in the car today you know like they're they're my family but sports for trans people i can definitely imagine it being a place to belong and a community where finally something about you besides being trans is the topic of conversation because the most annoying thing can be whenever you meet someone new And the only thing I want to talk about is you being trans or your transitions. Like, that's 1% of me. But all of a sudden you have a team and you're riding the seven-hour bus to an away game. Um, And you're, like, finding out different stuff and, like, oh, hey, what's your favorite Disney princess? Or what do you like to do? Like, I found out Ashley here, my teammate, loves board games. So we've been killing it with board games lately till like, 3 a.m. You know, and you learn more about yourself. And so for trans people, it's that safe it can be, as proof, two teams are safe places for me to grow, learn, and educate, and share my knowledge and experience with others while they share theirs with mine. And so if I can do it uh, at two different sports and all my teammates can do it, then I think a lot of other places can. There's there's your pattern, your two data points, no longer outliers. Like I wasn't in sports at all before coming to Sweet Briar. And now I'm a dual sport athlete, and sports is starting to become my life. And I never would have had that opportunity if it wasn't for other people constantly reminding me that I'm capable, reminding me to always push my hardest because my teammates are and fighting for me. You know, so while we're as we're gonna walk off, I'm giving everybody homework. And uh, ha, twist if homework. <laughs> um, as you're like walking out you know, look at look at somebody who may not uh, have a good acquaintance with and or someone on your team and like go up and remind them why why you appreciate them being there. Just that little thing. We always think it's the big things that make the difference in the world as as I'm looking at my teammates now it's the small things that help you get back up over and over again.
5: That's that red alert Klaxon. (laughs) Gotta take a break give love to the sponsors but when we come back we're going to talk to a researcher who's been digging deep into the support in the shadows given to those who use sport to sell transphobia. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. This is the Transporter Room. Stay with us. And welcome back to the Transporter Room. I'm your host, Carly Chardonnay Webb. This show comes on the heels of the recent ICONS conference in Las Vegas, Nevada. That was from Sunday to Tuesday. Now, if you don't know what ICONS is, it stands for the newly formed Independent Council on Women's Sports. Now, this was billed to be a conference on people advocating for women in sport. But the following things were not talked about equality in terms of pay at the professional level, equality in terms of funding at the scholastic and collegiate level, safety for the athletes against predatory coaches and, and trainers, i.e., things such as the Larry Nassar situation. None of those things were, discu- were discussed. Title IX was wasn't discussed. Not even the recent Supreme Court decisions were discussed in any meaningful way. What was discussed? Transphobia, Leah Thomas, and finding ways to keep transgender women out of sports, and with all the misgendering and transphobia, they're in. Now the word that we want to look at is the word independent. Are they really that independent? Well, it depends on who you ask. One thing we did notice that on the roster of this conference, there were some very interesting names and very interesting organizations that were given places on the podium and places to speak. Groups such as, The Concerned Women for America, which is billed to be a nonpartisan group, yet the vast majority of their people are on the American right. And, of course, a group that we know and talk about uh, on this show from time to time, the Alliance Defending Freedom. Now, to shed a little bit more light on what this means, we have this week Mallory Moore. Mallory Moore is an independent researcher based in the United Kingdom. She's been tracking a number of the trends in the anti-trans conspiracy theory industry, as it were, over the last four years. She's written for a number of publications, including Truthout, and has documented with great detail the trajectory of Gender ideology conspiracy theory memes from rhetoric right spread throughout the global religious right. And how it's gotten into anti-trans feminist smears in the UK and here in North America. And she's got some interesting things to share. Coming in from the UK, independent researcher Mallory Moore, we're beaming you up. Welcome to the Transporter Room. Energize. Hi there. Uh, thank you so much. That was really lovely intro. <laughs> well, Mallory, we appreciate you having having you here. And first, gut reaction to seeing the lineup for what some people have termed Turfapalooza in Las Vegas.
8: Uh,
5: I mean, like Turfapalooza,
8: it's, there's, there's a fair number of turfs there, but like um and i I've, I've made this point before the the thing that's really striking about it is like where is the money coming from for for, for an event of that scale cuz like historically radical feminists haven't been very well funded um and the well-funded organizations that are on the bill for that event are all on the christian hard right uh like you like you just mentioned so like it, I think to the, to a degree, a lot of the turfiness is kind of front on top. Like a lot of turfs do a lot of the harassment and they do a lot of the rhetoric and the presentation of it. Um, but if you, if you're looking at people with the power to like book out a Las Vegas hotel, um, and like run like cocktail dinners and things like that, um, it 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 really isn't grassroots activists, let let's put it that way.
5: <laughs> one thing that you've chronicled, especially over the last four years, is and because I'm looking at one article that you did, the Society for Evidence-Based Gender Medicine and a lot of the and a lot of these payments, walk us kind of through what this mechanism how do we go from anonymous payments to it seems like everybody's getting a platform. How is it working? Who is behind it? Okay, so the, the situation with uh, Society for Evidence-Based Gender
8: Medicine is another one of these groups um, that are in this kind of wider gender-critical propaganda sphere. And the thing with the anonymous donations is like, quite a lot of these organizations, um, and I, I can't speak to the... I can't speak to the... Uh, regarding the... Groups are icons, but the thing with a lot of the gender critical organisations that we've seen, like these huge, uh, like ten and twenty thousand dollar or pound sometimes donations into like uh funders anonymously, and it's very hard to figure out. Like, if you were a political party, you would be able to look up you know, who's funding who who's who's making these donations to these campaigns. If you're like if it if the donations above a certain size, if it's charities, there's often a paper trail for things like that. But when it comes to the use of these crowdfunders, you often just kind of get anonymous. Ten thousand dollars, twenty thousand dollars, fifty thousand dollars or whatever it is. Um and that's kind of a dark funding mechanism for like, maybe maybe they don't even know where they're getting their money from.
5: From your view of the UK, how has the the recent news here in the United States, especially the news of the last week, how has that affected the discussion and the tenor of trans rights discussion, especially in the UK right now?
8: Um, I think it's... I'm not sure icons has affected things in the UK. What is interesting is that there are UK turfs being flown out to America in order to uh, bring their kind of turfy views about science, um, quite fringe views. Like you have to the, the fact that you've had to like find a scientists in the UK in order to ship them into a place the size of the United States um, in order to like facilitate these like not necessarily scientific conclusions feels like it should be saying something about like the quality of those conclusions. How far did you have to go to find someone who agrees with that? But um, yeah, there's there's like a back and forth between the United States and America and how, you know, you have, you have groups in America importing um, British, British experts over there. To do things over there and like do like legal campaigning things, Um, and similarly in the UK, when uh, people are doing legal campaigning here, they'll import they'll import like uh, a Christian right wing and sometimes turfy experts from the USA, Um, and I guess part of the part of the reason why that works is is that people in the UK are less likely to like spot the people that you guys know. Are regular campaigners like I think some of some of the figures associated with the Christian right in America like would jump out to campaigners and activists and you'd be like, no, this guy's not well known for actually talking outside of his expertise or whatever, whereas when he's being used as an expert in the u k that like no one knows who who it is and no one knows how to argue against it.
5: How has the news as far as the, as what we've gotten in the Supreme Court now Or abortion looks Well on the way, looks on the way out Possibly nationwide in the United States Horrifying. How is that and, it, and how is that affecting The conversation where you are um, In England I think mostly
8: I think mostly, um, I think mostly uh, British people are pretty Horrified but there's also A There's a kind of like you know the old old colonial attitude of like looking at American going that could never happen here, um, which is um, unfortunately I think I think probably people are like not looking at how that where the
5: threats are coming over here. What are some of the common themes that you're seeing in regards to how these how these seemingly strange bedfellows are coming together between these right wing figures that have that have always consistently been against feminist causes, against women's causes, and how these groups of, of quote-unquote feminists, I call them feminist in many ways, are coming together. What are some of the common things you see with these groups as they come together, as they form alliances? So, I would say
8: this is, this is something I've been thinking about a lot recently, and I would I would say there's there's a few things. First of all, a lot of them there's there's a mixture of people who were on the fringes of feminism, who weren't who weren't very accepted for quite a long time, for like 30 odd years, they were on the fringes of feminism because a lot of people found their views quite repugnant and hateful. Um and then there's a lot of people who since like the gender critical wave happened around 2016 have suddenly discovered feminism but what they've discovered has just been the views of these kind of hateful people who've been around on the very fringes so in in terms of like feminism i would say it's it's the kind of thing that can only happen by having a lot of power kind of like media power attention um potentially resources in terms in terms of being able to like book really expensive venues for, like, meetings and conferences and having media support for all of that. Um, that's kind of, like, built this fringe, um, which was absolutely nowhere ten years ago, into, like, this huge, huge thing that's in the media all the time. That's yeah. one thing. Where do you think media misses the mark? I think... I think the United States media does a lot better than the British media on this one. Um, I think there's a big there's a big problem overall, which is that cisgender people don't really they don't have the insight into our perspective. So when they are deciding what is neutral, with the best of intentions, that the, the best effort a cisgender person is going to make, they don't really have the same understanding of what they don't know and as a result of that when they're trying to balance these things when when they do accept that framing when they're coming at it without being like people who aren't allies but aren't necessarily directly against us will come at it with a an idea of neutrality that's informed by only have, ever having sympathetic experiences with one side of the argument and that's i think that's the most common
5: mistake i see You've done homework for years. What got you to begin with, even interested in pursuing this? Um, over the years, I've, I, I've, been, I've been
8: like I've been a trans activist for about on and off twenty years. I've been doing lots of research as a trans person for like since I like I I came out. I was fifteen years old. Uh, there was no information available. You had to research everything twenty years ago. Like, um, there's not much the the information sources and access to those isn't really great now. But it was really terrible <laughs> um, back back twenty years ago. I've always I've always had to like read up on stuff and just like you know I I started reading statutes in my early teens <laughs> in my mid teens. So statutes and like law and stuff on on just so I would know my rights. Because that was like the only place you could find out.
5: So if I understand, um, so if I understand the timeline right, you were coming into your truth right as Section Twenty Eight was going out the door.
8: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it was. I mean, t- t- Section Twenty Eight was was still
5: live when I was at school. Yeah, and in a, in a lot of way,
8: I, I was what getting we- in trouble with teachers and and like being called like a gender freak, crackhead, and. All sorts of stuff because I was kind of turning up into school with a skirt when I had no legal right to turn up into school in a skirt. But you <laughs> did
5: anyway. No, but yeah. talk of but talk about that. How how have those experiences first influenced you and in what you do now? I think it hardened me up. <laughs> um, there's no, there's no getting
8: through that sort of experience without being like, okay, well. You know, I've, I've I've taken my knocks. Um, there's not not that much that's going to be bothering bothering me too much nowadays. Um, yeah, and just like I've I've gotten through it, so you know it it could get a, a lot worse than it is currently in the UK at
5: least. Um, and I think I could do okay. What brought this rise that you're seeing right now? Um, it just seems like especially in the UK, and we're, we're seeing it more and more here in the States and we're seeing it more and more around the world, but in the UK, it just seems transphobia is everywhere. It's on every TV channel. It's in every political party. How much of that is real? How much of that is hyperbole and how much of that isn't true?
8: I think I think a lot of it is the internet and the media. I think if you look at like studies and stuff like my estimate okay my my estimate for how many actual like gender critical people the size of the gender critical movement in the UK out of 66 million people I would estimate it's like 20 to 30,000 people at most. Right? That's a small number of people I think, like, probably 10% of people are, certainly from, from like, surveys, 10 tw- to 20% of people are actively transphobic, and most other people just don't care. And there's, like, a small number of people who are really enthusiastic about trans people. Um, but most people, they want you to have a good life and get on with it, but they don't really care because it's not something that they encounter. It's not something they need to care about. Like, I don't think most people are, I don't think most people are haters basically. And I would say because there's like a media stranglehold in the UK, just pumping out horrible, horrible stuff all the time that creates a like false impression. Whereas that's actually, it's very much the anxieties of the elite class in like the middle class and upper. Um, that's being reflected in that. It's not really about ordinary people at all.
5: How much has sport factored in to the things that you have been researching and writing about since 18? How much has this, this part of the bigger issue changed how we look at the issue in your view?
8: I would say like in, in in terms of UK sport is like the rising narrative. Um, because the big narrative for the last like four years was gender recognition reform, but that got knocked out of the park by the um, by the by the British government. That was like thrown away. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think sport is an increasing issue because that can be that's like a move to something that can be dragged out forever. Every, they can trans people have been like you, you know this obviously, but trans people have been in sport for like. Decades now, um, going back to like Michelle Demiresque, Um and are probably earlier trans athletes that I can't remember, but like Michelle Dumaresque is obviously like a like a, a pivotal moment in transport. And there's nothing really, there's not, there's it's not really been like like you know there's not been there's not been any problems, but it is the sort of issue where. Bearing in mind, this is a heavily, heavily media-driven movement. Like this is, this is about people consuming and becoming part of a lifestyle through their media consumption. This is like becoming part of people's identity of like, I hate these people. I'm on this team, and it's like a fandom if you think about it that way. Um, and I think like hate as a fandom. They can carry this, they can carry on the issue around sport forever because it's not really about a particular
5: policy. It's about any number of policies that anyone ever wants to change. I want to throw a name at you and give me a gut reaction on it and how this name has affected the landscape. Kira Bell.
8: Kira Bell is such an interesting character. <laughs> yeah. um, like, she's gone very quiet recently. Um, I don't know what the deal was with her and I don't want to speculate in a way that might then leave me in legal trouble or something. Kirabel, she took her case, she tried her hand, she lost it. It was a bad case. Um, the thing that's like really persisted from that is that trans healthcare was, even after the repeal, trans healthcare has been badly impaired even which it shouldn't be. There's like a legal challenge to get them to return
5: it to how it was beforehand. Well, but, one um, thing her name has been, her name has been spoken here in the United States. Yeah. You've got those, you've got those guys who run around with
8: placards saying, who is Kira Bell? And it's but, like, well, Kira Bell's someone who lost
5: a legal case. <laughs> like, not only that, people are using her case to make the case that affirming care should end here. Yeah, we're but she she lost her babies. Babies. she's got no basis for it. Like she, she 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 transitioned, she
8: detransitioned. But but see that's the other thing. It's freedom How of much,
5: choice, right? But and also, responsibility as well. She's an adult when that happened. But also another side of that is because you know she lost her case. I know she lost her case. But you'd be surprised the number of the number of people believe that the case is still going on, or that she. Oh,
8: was. I know she gets her case gets cited in the in your like amicus curiae briefs and stuff like
5: that when people are bringing lawsuits. How difficult is that to to have to push through? First, just the just the just the ignorance.
8: I mean, oh, the. the Yeah. (laughs) Um, I don't, I don't have a lot to say. Like, it's just, I mean, this is, this is the work basically. And I hope like I've, I've talked to lawyers in the U S who are either defending or fighting cases on this, on some of this stuff and, you know, all, all power to them. Um, ridiculous amount of respect for people who are working in this sphere where there seems to be so much like to to me as an outside, I'm not, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not legally trained as an outsider to the legal system in America. It seems like quite corrupt to me in some ways, the way that there's, I mean, I mean, look at Roe v. Wade, but like separately from that, you have all of these cases that are brought case after case after case after case with bullshit experts and bullshit claims and bullshit non-evidence. And it seems like the system is set up in a way that's designed to make the most out of people. You know, you can lie a hundred times if someone doesn't catch you out once out of a hundred, you can, you can use that as a precedent. And that's really worrying
5: to me. Another name I want to throw at you emily bridges emily bridges um she's the
8: track cyclist in England um like i've talking I, 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 yeah like i just, i just want her to fucking win I want her to fucking smash everything <laughs> like this is just, just like drop my research a bit for a minute I, so i i'm I'm a huge cycling fan right <laughs>
5: oh oh oh, yeah. oh then that's no, then you know what this week is. Do you I, know I, what I don't don't know we're welcome to speak? Because I've like given my give, I've given my life
8: over to the spirit of hate watching, but um, <laughs> but, like well, yeah, well, you know TDF starts
5: Friday. Oh, is it? The, it's the men's TDF though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Tour de France start, the... Yeah, the tri- men's Tour de France starts Friday in Copenhagen. Yeah. I, I heard that the I heard that the women's tour the women's
8: tour that's finally gotten off the ground. Like I was, I was like trying to, I was donating money to that thing like years ago, and I heard that that might have some of the people involved in that might have turned to Effie, and I'm like, re- I'm just feeling really gutted
5: by the well, entire. I thing. can well, well, talk yeah. about that just as a fan. Because, I mean, as a fan, as a person who is a fan of this sport, and that's something we have in common. I'm, I mean, yeah, I I did a bike ride before I did the the more uh, this morning before I was able to do this interview. I got 15 miles in. The Tour de France is and Tour de France is scheduled for July 24th through the 31st. I mean, yeah, it's nice to get a week. I would, I would love it if women have a full month and it's, I would love that too. It seems, yeah, there seems to be, like, controversy amongst the women's peloton
8: around, like, what, like, who actually wants to do it, because it's such a brutal, like, the Tour de France, in general, is such a brutal, brutal race.
5: Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. It's brutal, but it's beautiful. But the yeah. one thing is,
8: you like, if, at- you're gonna, if you're going to hit that, you've got to hit that, and that might wipe out the rest of your, like, year, basically, mm-hmm. if you're going if, if to hit something that scale
5: it's crazy crazy race but one thing about but one thing about this as a whole you look at the that the uci rules you look at the you look at the FNL rule you look at all these regulations and then you look at the fact that these people are that you have that really these came out of pro, out of because people were protesting because some well-placed people are protesting for you, first, just as a fan, hearing what you just said, I want Emily Bridges to F and win everything. I do though. Like, I just want to fucking smash it. I like it it was so
8: cool. It was so cool seeing that like and also that was the other thing about that race that she won that was so controversial, even though it was it was like a it was designed to be a trans inclusive con you're talking about the, th- you're talking about the thundercrit Thunder event know. about a month ago.
6: Yeah,
8: yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was so, that was so exciting to me. I've, I've, I've only seen, I've seen combat sports that are like that, like local, um, left wing combat sports. I haven't seen a bike race run like that. And I was so excited. Um, yeah, no, I'm just like, I just, I, I, I just want everything for her. like best of luck to her completely. Well, I'd like to
5: see her just be able to race. Yeah, exactly. And, but on the on the gut level for you, what's it like when you're seeing the UCI saying no, you can't is basically saying no and Finn is saying no and now and now kids in the NHS are saying no. Yeah.
8: Um I mean the NHS is the NHS has always been like a, a bit of a sick donkey. It's um it's it's, it's never done a great service for anyone because it's never, it's been kind of designed around deterring people from transition. And over the years, they've kind of allowed more and more people to transition rather than being designed to help people transition from the start. Like that's, so in terms of kids and like the healthcare system, that's that. Um, in terms of, in terms of sport, um, my my biggest hope is just that people carry on building alternatives to the UCI. And the reason for that is that the UCI has, and this is not just a trans thing. The UCI has a long track record of screwing over riders, um, changing rules at the last minute, being unaccountable. I can say this cause I'm not a race. I'm not an athlete. <laughs> like, like if you go through the history of the UCI, it's a series of controversies where they changed the rules at the last minute and screwed over someone's result, right? Um so um apologies if that's like No
5: you can be No, you can be as controversial as you wanna be here. Um and I, I feel like that's what happened
8: to Emily. Um absolutely gutted for her. But it's also like but but that, that's an, that's almost an iconic
5: thing for the UCF to do to you as a yep. good athlete. <laughs> now, one, one effort you've been a part of is the Trans Safety Network. Yeah. What has been the main thrust of that work? And what are some of the future pr- plans going forward as far as what the Trans Safety Network is doing? So the Trans Safety Network
8: is a bunch of us got together we decided we because there's you, you know there's a lot of there's a lot of people on twitter and a few other spaces who have been doing like research work but a lot of it's only ended up on twitter and it doesn't it doesn't go anywhere it's not kind of in a in a reviewed legitimate format that's got citations and evidence attached to it and it's it's not persuasive when you like trying to talk to a body and you're like hi i've got this twitter thread and it's really really good um like you can't you can't just like send that when you're trying to make an argument about uh the groups that are trying to target trans people i should have explained what trans safety network is so a big thing is we monitor organized harm targeting the trans community uh primarily in the uk but we also uh try and work with Internationally, with other researchers to monitor like the interactions between the u k and other countries um, and yeah the 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 big thing about it is just obviously there's a lot there's a whole lot of harm going on uh we can't track all of it we're currently all of us are working as volunteers so the big thing is trying to take a high enough perspective that when we start putting out research, we're able to present it in a way that like ha- cuts to the problem rather than trying to fix lots of little problems.
5: I want to hit you with something the way the well meaning but we'll say it clueless cisgender ally would read it, and this comes from the Trans Safety Network webpage. We do this maintaining a focus on highlighting organized harm, including wider campaigns to incite public hatred, targeting the trans community more widely. How would you handle that ally who means well, but doesn't quite get it, who would look at that and say, organized harm, Re- really, though? Organized? So, so, okay, so that that's,
8: that's fair enough. That's a really good question, actually. Um, so the thing is there are already like in the uk there is a degree of hate crime law um there are hate crime reporting centers um you can ring up the police or you can ring up your local lgbt community center if they're registered as a hate crime reporting center and that's for like you know this person did something to me and it was hateful um and and there are there are hate crimes um what we are trying to do is looking at wider, organized patterns of harm that aren't like person to person, but people trying to organize um, movements. Um, sometimes people not deliberately in organizing things, but like the way that society is organized is doing harm because it wasn't designed with trans people in mind. So there's like there's different levels of this idea of organized harm that we're working with of starting from a position of kind of doing hate research but also trying to expand from that to go we're not really interested in people who we're not interested in like trying to tell people off who hate us because you know people can have their views and it shouldn't really matter our view is we want to know if harm's being organized to trans people towards trans people how do we uh, expose that and like reveal that in a way that we can maybe get it to change or stop. We've had some successes. We've we've managed to help whistleblowers to whistleblow. We've managed to, you know, signpost people who are uh, being mistreated to people who can help them stop getting mistreated. Our real strength has been exposing and like documenting like wide-scale misinformation projects and conspiracy theories. Um, it's one of the things we had quite a lot of impact um, documenting documenting attempts to like link LGBT groups to uh, paedophile campaigns that were completely false. But like that was one of the things we exposed. We've we've done a lot of we've done a lot of stuff, and we try and we try and stay flexible about
5: what we're about. Yeah, I know. It's so one of the things that that you had a hand in exposing was the was the misinformation campaign revol- re- regarding the Uvalde, Texas um, school shooting, where they said that the person yeah, that, who um, did that was, that was trans. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that yeah, that one
8: was. Um, I mean, I, I I think people would have noticed pretty quickly that that was completely false, but. Um, uh, one of my colleagues happened to just be up at the right time of night and uh, reached out to one of the people being targeted and like let them know and we obviously documented it because we try and document everything we're doing publicly and like be transparent about stuff why do you think people get get hooked into that so easily that particular so that it's actually a pattern that one and this is one of those things that we've been looking at like over a long period of time um, blaming blaming like atrocities and this is like part of part of conspiracy thinking right is you know you 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 don't have as much information as you want to know you are dealing with knowledge of an atrocity that you can't make sense of and in for lack of information uh, someone provides you with a scapegoat and you're like okay fine and they run with that um, and you know that scapegoating people's happened throughout history. That's not that's not a new thing. Um, it's happened with trans people specifically several times. There was a, a similar thing with the YouTube shooting a few years ago. Um, I can't remember her name, but there was a woman who went and uh, shot up the YouTube building, um, and Mumsnet decided that that was um, that that. That that woman was a trans woman, which is completely false. Um, there was another incident that happened in Britain this time with it was a woman called Phoenix Nets who was brutally murdered um and her body was like mutilated and all sorts of other horrible stuff, and she was in a woman's shelter, so again, Mumsnet decided that that was a trans woman who had killed her, not a
5: cisgender woman don't, don't you think yeah don't you think Mumsnet. <laughs> The people at Mumsnet need to, like, get lives. Don't they have enough to do, especially if they're mums? Uh, maybe, maybe. I think Like, I think a lot of them are just
8: bored, and this is a hobby for them. And it's really, like, it, it's like true crime to them. Like, you know, this, like, phenomenon of a certain, like, class of women who have a lot of free time and get really, really into true crime and de- decide that they're, like, detectives? I think, I think that's what's basically going on except the detectives for figuring out how are trans people ruining everything. Like they've, they've started with their conclusion.
5: They want to figure out what supports it. You had said earlier that watching hate has consumed a lot of your life. What do you do to get away from this? And one thing we talk about on this podcast a lot is trans joy. Where do you find your trans joy? Oh and how do you goodness, get I away? Yeah.
8: Oh, I need to, I need to, <laughs> <laughs> I need, I need to get some back in my life. Um, I find my trans joy by skating. I, I'm, so I'm a, I'm a, I, I play roller derby. I've got, a, I got a brilliant, brilliant team that I play with. Like I don't play competitively yet. I'm not good enough. Um, but like, I love playing with my team. I love hang out with them. They're brilliant. And it's that completely takes my mind off of
5: it. Now, uh, roller derby. You know, we're we're roller derby fans here at the transporter room. We're ro- oh. we're we are roller derby fans, partially because we love the sport, and partially because of the athletes who stand up the most on this issue. Roller derby athletes stand up, be counted, give their names. They show out. They do, yeah. And 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 this is this is like. So I I started. A couple of years I started
8: about a year before pandemic hit and I, I was a cyclist for like I was a cyclist for years and years and years I never did anything competitive because I had this internal thing telling me you shouldn't you shouldn't be competing with people um you shouldn't you shouldn't be you shouldn't be trying like I, I was a good cyclist as well like I could I I, I used to ride fixed gear and I'd, I would ride like Thirty miles an hour on flat, pretty comfortably um, like i was a very I was pretty fast amateur cyclist, and I I'm never jealous to
5: <laughs>
8: <laughs> I was fast i 'm not that fast anymore i've given up cycling because I got hit by a car, but anyway, Ooh. um <laughs> yeah, uh anyway, so yeah roller derby like the women in my roller derby team taught me how to play sport with other people. They taught me that it was okay. Um, and it's like genuinely transformed my life, being able to play with other people and not just be like, on like a solo hundred mile, a uh, hundred mile like trip around some mountains or something like, which is what, what I used to do. It was just like, it very, it very like, I, I, I get sad if I'm not doing exercise. So, I was always like I was always cycling but Roller has completely changed everything for me it's absolutely just completely life changing having people to share that with and it seems really like I don't even know how to
5: explain it it's been huge for me when you do get when you say when you get how you feel good enough to get in, to really get in the action i want to know about it let me tell you that right now. I want to know about it. We want pictures of it. We want to. We want to highlight that because no, we, like I said, we love the roller derby. We love derby here. We taught derby is always spoken here at the transporter room. Yeah, coming I'm in, my in my late
8: thirties. So that I've got like I've got about maybe three or four years. Three or four years of derby left in
5: my body. <laughs> and then I'll probably yeah. <laughs> well, well. I'm gonna let you in on something. I'm considering going into it, and I'm 51. You should do it. You should do it. You should do it. Join the cult. (laughs) Well, but that's but talk about that. How how did this how did this sport be be become a welcoming place? Um, I, I yeah, like I don't know.
8: Like I had I had friends who were doing it in London back in 2005, 2006. Um, like when it when it started breaking out, and i guess it 's always just been an outsider like it 's a bit like it 's a bit like skateboarding or something in, in like the culture is a bit like skateboarding in the sense that they 're much more interested in people having fun than there are in people are very competitive. But it's no fun if people aren't having fun. Nothing's putting people there except themselves. And I think that's one of the reasons it's got such good vibes, is that it's, it's very much by the f- community for the community, and it's not no one's interested in
5: anything else. Do you ever see a point where it won't be necessary anymore? Will really the hungry. tide turn? Will this tide turn?
8: I think, like, nothing's forever. Um, we're currently in a big big like global wave of reactionary hate um like i we we joke internally at trans safety network that um like our goal is to kind of abolish ourselves i think there's probably always going to be a need for like maintaining some amount of awareness of what these hate movements are up to when they're in like a Fallow season, I guess, where they're where they're less active. Um, but I really hope that we can get to that point, and I hope that we can like look after our, look after our people
5: as best as we can on the way there. Well, one thing I want you to know is that the Trans Safety Network has a friend in the transporter room. We stand with you. We're going to stand by you and. Mallory Moore, we're gonna want you back, especially when you make your roller derby debut. We're gonna want you, gonna want you back when you're when you're on. played a couple of rookie games. It's just like it's rookie games, so <laughs> Mallory Moore, keep doing what you're doing, and thank you for being on the transporter room this week. Thank you. Well, well, Mallory's got transphobes to go after, so we're gonna we're gonna beam her back down to the UK. Thanks, Mallory Moore, for being. On The Transporter Room this weekend, thanks to all of you for being a part of Transporter Room Nation. And if there's some something you want to see, or someone you want to see here at The Transporter Room, please, by all means, if there's things you want to say about what we're doing here, leave a message on our Twitter page, leave a message at our Facebook page, and leave a message at our Instagram page, Transporter Room 10 Forward everything that I do here at the transporter room I do for each and every one of you the people who support us that's the transporter room for this week I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb live long and prosper and study as she goes I'll catch you all next week